text that we're going to be in today. You know, one of the things that my wife, Courtney and I, she's back with the kids this morning. One of the things that she and I understand as we're trying to raise our children, we have three little kids, is um, that in order to help them love and follow Jesus, one of the best things that we can give them is our lives on display um, for Christ. And one of the best gifts that we can give our children is, is just this burning hot love for the Lord and, and them getting to watch us live out this vibrant faith. This has this way of having impact and it goes beyond just our kids. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk about this morning is that there's something about a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus who's committed to, to living like Christ, living into the ways of Christ, living for Christ, living with Christ, for the uh, full of the Holy Spirit that has this way of just making an impression and impacting the people around us in ways that we can't even begin to understand. You know, so I think about the way that this plays out in my family. So my wife and I, you know, we, we read the scriptures and we're just committed to, to being Christ followers, just like those of you who are followers of Jesus are. You, you read it and you're like, I'm just gonna do what it says. And so one of the, the things that we've just been confronted with is this idea that, hey, the place that we live isn't just about us, that, that we need to be good neighbors, that we need to know the people around us and the, the people who, who have needs and who don't know Jesus. We need to be in their lives. And so, you know, when I get home from the work, when I get home from work, one of the things that I will do is I'll get all the kids outside just to get them out of my wife's hands so she can restore her sanity, right, for a little while. And, and, and we go up to one of our neighbor's houses. And our neighbors, they're not followers of Jesus. And and they have kids that are grown, that are our age, and neither their kids are married. They don't have grandkids, but they just love our kids. And so we'll go up there and Finley and Jones will ask them, hey, will you play tag? And so, you know, she'll get out in the yard and play tag with them for a few minutes. And, and we'll just sit in the garage and talk or, or we'll go get in the pool and swim. And, and there's this amazing thing that is happening that, that we're just showing them, hey, like kids, this is what it looks like to, to love people just in simple, ordinary ways, just to getting to know your neighbors and saying hi and being friendly and being a presence. And, and it's really neat because Finley now, like there'll be um, days where I get home from work and we have things to do. We can't go up the street. She's like, hey, dad, can we go to the neighbor's house tonight? And, and she's singing like as small and as ordinary as it is that, that there's something about our lives, us just living for Christ, trying to take serious his teachings that, that is on display for others to see that has this way of impacting them in ways that we can't even begin to understand. As Christians, we want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Right? Amen? We, we want them to step into relationship with him. We want them to know his love. We want them to know the forgiveness. We want them to know the power. We want them to know the holiness. We want them to know the realness of our God. And today, I just want to elevate the importance of just the normal everyday living and how God somehow uses that to open up people's eyes all around us to who he is. So Peter's writing to first century Christians and he calls them foreigners and exiles. And we've talked about this the past few weeks. Um, they're not literally foreigners and exiles. They're not, they haven't been driven out of their country. They haven't been, uh, uh, you know, like they're not refugees, in technical sense, but, but he's reminding them. He's reminding us, hey, this world is not your home. And he says to them this interesting thing. I urge you, I strongly urge you to abstain 
from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, we're going to just dig deep into these two verses for, for the next few minutes. And, and so I want you just to, to, to track with me the best that you can. I, I, I love this sentence, but I love the way that the ESV translates it. I think it's a little bit more helpful that the ESV says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, flesh, he's not talking about skin. In the first century, this would have resonated on a whole different level for them. This idea of flesh is that which is opposed to God, which is opposed to the ways of God and the purposes of God and the desires of God. And Peter is saying something really powerful here. He's saying, hey, stay away from the things that are setting themselves up against who God is. He says, stay away from the things. He'll go on to say the things that wage war against your soul. And that phrase is, is really colorful, but we miss it because we're not first century Christians. That word wage war means to, to enlist as a soldier. And he says, hey, these cravings of the flesh, these things that are opposed to God, these things that are lining themselves up with God, these things that are, are enlisting as soldiers to fight against the things of God, he says, abstain from these things these things which wage war against your soul. You know, I've never really thought about thoughts or impulses or cravings, however you wanna talk about them, things that, that pass through my head. I've never thought about those things potentially um, being opposed to the things that God, uh, being put there to, to destroy the things that God is trying to build up in my life. I've never really thought about the things that that pass through my head, actively fighting against my soul. I think it's profound what, what Peter's saying to us here because we live in, in a culture that is becoming more and more hedonistic every day. And maybe you're familiar with that term, maybe you're not. The, the, the idea of hedonism, this, this idea that, that if it feels good, then do it. If it leads to, to my pleasure and my fulfillment, then do it no matter what it costs anyone else. Hedonism says that your pleasure and your self-indulgence is the most important thing. And so don't hear what I'm not saying. So I'm not coming here this morning and, and certainly God is not opposed to things that are pleasurable, okay? Things that taste good, things that feel good, things that are good. God made us as physical beings. I just think about the way that he just created us to even have taste buds and the way that God even just wanted consuming food to be a pleasurable experience for us. Or that he's given us sight and he's given us color and he's made things beautiful for us to take in the creation. And God has, has done all of these things because he desires for us to experience pleasure. He desires for us to experience joy. In fact, no one wants our pleasure more than God. That, that no one wants us to, to live lives of, of pleasure and joy more than God. But what I was confronted this, with this week is that there are things that, that pass through my head and, and my heart. Impulses, cravings, thoughts. And if we're, if we're living under this hedonistic lifestyle, if it's all about us, if it's all about what we want, then we just take and we just do. And we just do whatever it is that we want. And so often these thoughts and impulses that are coming to our head are destroying the very thing that God is trying to build up in us. And so Peter, our big 
older, more experienced brother who, who put his foot in his mouth. Like he's writing this as, a, as an old man because he'd lived life. He'd realized he, he, he'd, he'd done all the things wrong. Go back and read his story. You'll realize how much Peter is just like you and I, but he's writing this and he says, hey, abstain from the things. Because he knows, he knows what they do to us. And I think it's interesting that, that Peter here, he doesn't list out the things that are, 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 are posed to the things of God in us. I talked about this two weeks ago and the very first part of chapter two, he lists out some things there. Paul will do this uh, fairly often. He does this in Galatians chapter five. But did you notice that Peter, he just says here, uh, abstain from the things that, that destroy your soul. And he doesn't list out, he doesn't go, hey, these are things like, you know, list out all the, the, the things that you and I wrestle with. He just kind of leaves it up in the air. Because I think he's wanting us to understand not necessarily what these things are, but what they do. And the scriptures are full of things. Galatians 5, 19, Paul lists some of these things out. Scriptures are full of things that, that displease the Lord, that, that, that put out the fire of God in us. And Peter says, abstain. Abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Abstain from these things. But, but I love that, that he goes on. See, Peter understands that, that, that the life of a Christian isn't just about abstaining from certain things. That the life of, Christ, the life of a follower of Jesus isn't just about not doing things. Right, and we can make it so much about that. We can make it so much about our holiness. We can make it so much about us. And yet we miss this whole other side of the coin, this whole other part of what it means to follow Jesus. Yes, absolutely as followers of Jesus, we abstain from things so that it's not tearing down and destroying the things that God is trying to build up. But he says, there's also this just dynamic side of life. And this is what he says in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so that the very first part of that, he says, live such good lives. And in the original language, this was written in, it was written in Greek. There are two words for good. And one of the words is, is, is good in quality. And so, man, that was a, a good watermelon. It was pure. Or, you know, just think about something like that. That's not the word that he's using here. The word that he's using here is, is this idea of attractive lovely, and that's so rich. Because you and I can try to define good, but what he's saying is, hey, live such a lovely life, Dale, an attractive life. Live such a, an attractive life among the pagans. Now, pagans, we read that, and I don't know what your mind goes to, but in the first century, this is just his way of talking about people who weren't trying to live for Jesus. He says, live such an attractive life around people who don't know Jesus. And some of you go, hey, I've got it. Like my whole life is around people who don't love Jesus. My coworkers don't love Jesus. My neighbors don't love Jesus. No one in my family loves Jesus. And so some of you come here and you're going, I got it. Like others of you come here and you have to try really hard to be around people. Like this is me. Like I work at a church. All my coworkers are Christians. <laughs> Right? Like, I have to make intentional effort to be around people that don't follow Jesus. 
He looks at us and he says, live such good lives among people who don't love and follow Jesus that though they accuse you of doing wrong. And we hear that and we're like, what is, what is he even talking about there? Like, I don't know if, you know, as Kaylee, as you're living out your faith, I don't know how many people are accusing you of doing wrong as you're trying to follow Jesus. I don't know how many people are accusing us of, of, of doing wrong as we're trying to live out our faith. But in the first century, man, this was everywhere. So you see this play out in Acts chapter 19. In the city of Ephesus, there, um, the economy, their, their structure of the economy was, was built on, on idol worship. And so silversmiths and people who were woodworkers, they would build these gods literally out of wood, out of silver, and then they would sell them to people, right? So they would be hoisted up high in the city for, for the people to bow down to. They would create these gods, build these gods that people would purchase and they would bring into their homes. And so the apostles and the disciples of, of Jesus come into the, the city of Ephesus and they start preaching, hey, these gods that you are worshiping, they are lifeless. They can't speak, they can't move, they have no power, they have no love, they are lifeless beings. Quit bowing down and worship this. Instead, to give all of your affection and your time and your attention to the God who doesn't need anything from you. It says that the people of Ephesus, man, they start getting rid of these gods. And you can imagine, if you're a manufacturer of silver gods, what do you think about that? If that is how you are, are making money and you're probably getting pretty wealthy, you're frustrated about this. And so people like this that were in the, 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 the secular world that were not Christians were very opposed to the lives that were Christians were, were living because it was imposing on their way of life. Or I think about what would so often happen is that, that, people, uh, that, that people would come to faith, a husband or a wife would come to know Jesus and that so often the, the, the person that wasn't a follower of Jesus would leave the relationship. They want it out. And this is happening all over our world today. I mean, one of my good friends who's a missionary in another country, he was telling me about that, that this man, he became a Christian from uh, the Islamic faith. He became a follower of Jesus and his wife found out about it and she wants nothing to do with him. And so this is happening in, in, in the first century that, that, that families were being split. And so people in the culture were looking around who were not Christians and they were going, hey, your wave of teaching this idea of, of following Jesus is, is splitting up families and separating our homes. And the reality is that that is not what, what Jesus was teaching at all. That's not what Paul or Peter or anyone else was teaching. You go back and you read 1 Corinthians chapter seven and it says, hey, if you are married to an unbelieving woman, do not leave her. Or, or wise, if you are married to an unbelieving man, do not leave him. Of course, unless they're abusive, there's those things going on. But he's just saying, just because you come to know Jesus, you're given this beautiful stage to show the person that knows you and sees you and spends more time with you than anyone. You're given this stage to show them the, the ways of Jesus. And in their culture, though, the Christians were accused of doing all kinds of wrong, even though they're doing nothing wrong. Peter keeps going. He says, live such good lives among those people who don't know and love and follow Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And I'm just reminded how, what, what James, the brother of Jesus says in James chapter two, verse 17, he says, faith without works is dead. And what that means is as followers of Jesus, we can't just be people who, who talk about Jesus. We can't just be people who, who believe it, that, that our lives have to bear fruit in accordance with our beliefs. 
the brother of Jesus, the, 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 the writer of the book of James says, if, if, if you have faith, but you don't have works, you have nothing. And he says, live such good lives among people that they see your good deeds. And they glorify God on the day he visits us. Now this last part of the sentence is, is just rich. I love it. I was, I was digging in this week in the original language, it, the, the, the phrasing, um, you know, when, when Christ visits us in the Greek, it says in the day of visitation. And so I just kind of came into this text thinking about, oh, he's, Peter's talking about when Christ returns that, you know, Ryan, because you've lived such a godly life that, that when people who don't know Jesus, when Christ returns, you know, they, they, they turn and they give praise to the Lord and they give their lives to him. Or I, I didn't really know what it meant, but, but what Peter was helping me understand this week as I was digging in is that, that he's talking about these moments in, in time when, when Christ intervenes in a specific, like a specific way in, in human affairs. Like he might be talking about when Christ returns. But a lot of people think that what he's talking about is a time when, when God directly intervenes in, intervenes in human affairs. And so I love that because what that means is that, that those moments when God metaphorically snaps his fingers and gets people's attention, when Christ visits them, when the hand of God comes down and, and he opens people's eyes, when he puts a new heart in their chest, those moments when, when God gets people's attention who don't yet know him, when God starts to wake those people up. I love what Peter is saying. He says, because of your life, Corinne, because of your life, Riley, because of the life that you lived, when God starts to wake people up, they go, man, I, I know what it looks like to follow Jesus because I've watched Sam and Christina because I've watched Jess because I've watched Nick. And I love this. You know, Shay Antunas, he's a part of our church family. He's a, a, a small business owner here and he was telling me that one of the things that he does is, is that he prays with his staff. And I thought, interesting. And I don't know the story of every person that he works with, but, but hopefully there will be a day where, where the hand of God intervenes, where Jesus visits them and wakes them up. And they're going to know, man, I know what it looks like to follow Christ because my boss has been following Christ. They watch the way that, that you go out with your coworkers for dinner or for drinks after work. They watch the way that you don't talk like everyone else. The way you don't slander people. The way you don't talk bad about people behind their backs. And there's something profound that he's wanting us to understand that just our normal following Jesus, just that ordinary life has this way of making this impression on people that when he wakes them up, they, they look at our life and they go, oh yeah, I know because I've been friends with Sarah. It makes sense. We want people to know Jesus. And sometimes our, our words are the things that, that, that draws people to Jesus. And a lot more times it's our actions. It's the consistency of following Jesus around people who don't yet know him. And I hope that you, you don't underestimate what God is doing in your just normal everyday living. 
And I hope that you don't feel this pressure. Like I know often when, when I, even, even feeling this myself, like preaching to myself, it's like, okay, man, since everyone is watching me, I have to have all my crap together all the time. I can't, I can't ever let a word come out of my mouth or I can't ever do anything wrong. And, and, and that's not the yoke that Jesus has put on us. No, the, the yoke that he's put on us is that we're not perfect, but he does expect us when we do sin, when we are confronted with these moments where we mess up or we say something that we are so quick to admit it. And that's the difference in followers of Jesus in the world. That in humility, we go, yeah, you know what? I did that person wrong. Or I shouldn't have done that. And for us to be people who are not trying to be perfect because we understand that Christ was perfect for us, but we're going, man, we want to be like him. And when we mess up, we just are quick to own it. Man, the, the way that we don't demand our way, just think about what that's going to do to the people that, that you're around that don't yet follow Jesus when you're not this person that's always demanded that it has to be, be like this. The way you look for opportunities to serve and to help people that are in your path. Just ordinary things that God will use. I love that Casey goes to Ukraine. I love that the, the little girls and little boys there get to, to see what it looks like. And I'm hoping that this year they, they ask him, why do you come here? And he's able to really tell them. And I hope you have a moment with the people in your family, the people in your lives that don't love and follow Jesus. And, and just because of, of you being committed to Jesus, and it might not seem like much, but you have this moment where, where God changes their heart and you get to be a part of it. And I want to remind us, we all get excited about people coming to know Jesus, right? Like, I have a list of people that I pray for that, that don't know Jesus. Like I, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about the, the day. I can't wait that, that we get to, to watch them get into the water and give their lives. Like it, it, it's, it's on my mind and in my heart. And, and we all, like we get excited about these big moments. And, and I want to encourage us to not grow weary just in the ordinary living. All of this, this desire for people to come to know Jesus is brought about because of Jesus. I was reminded, you know, he calls us foreigners and exiles. And the reality is that, that, that there was a time when we were not foreigners, when we were not exiles. There was a time when, when those of us who are Christians, we were at home in this world. There was a time when we abstained from nothing, when we said yes to everything, when we tasted the fruit of that life that was always promising, that always started sweet, always following every impulse, but it always ends sour that always leads to emptiness and separation. And then Jesus visited us. And he snapped his fingers and he woke us up. And there's this thing that happens for those of us who are Christians. When he, when he gets our attention, we start to go, man, this world is not my home anymore. When you taste the grace, when you taste the, the forgiveness for all of your failures, when you taste the, the love and the patience of God through all of your wondering and all of your questioning, when you experience that God, man, your heart wants the Lord. And I wanna caution us, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have to be careful that when our eyes have been opened, 
that we don't look down upon and we don't judge those around us whose eyes haven't been opened. I was really convicted that Jesus's harshest critiques were not offered to those who didn't have their lives together. Jesus' harshest critiques were offered to those who thought they did have their lives together. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus to to make sure that our own self-righteousness doesn't remove us and separate us and make us think that we are better than those around us who don't yet know Jesus, but no, man, we just stay in the fight and we keep interceding, we keep loving, we keep living out our faith of uh, our lives of service and goodness and sacrifice so that people around us can see what it looks like to follow Jesus. So I wanna end this morning, we're gonna take communion and um, we do this every week, take a piece of bread, we drink a cup and we do this to be reminded that the body has been broken, the blood has been shed so that we could be a perfect peace for the Lord. We have everything that we need for our salvation. And I wanna invite you as we take communion, you know, you can spread out all over the room. There'll be some men and women at the back if, if you wanna talk at the respond banner. But I wanna just kind of speak into some specific places and you might not fit in these like categories and so that's okay, but I want the Lord to just speak to you however, but I didn't wanna kind of set it up like this. For some of you, you come here this morning and your desire, you go, man, I haven't, I don't, I'm not a father of Jesus. I don't love the Lord. And I've lived my life up until this point, like being against the things of Jesus. But there's something that's going on in my heart that, that I want to walk with him. But the reality is that, that I think I've blown it. And I just want to encourage you, if if this is where you find yourself this morning, there's no better day than today for you to give your life to Jesus. To let the rest of your life bear witness to who he is. And and you go, man, my my friends and my family, they're going to think I'm such a hypocrite because I've been so against God. I've been so against his ways. And this was Paul's story. Galatians chapter one, you know, see this in the book of Acts and Acts chapter nine, that this man who persecuted Christians and hated Christians and then Christ appeared to him and woke him up. And all the community is like, wait, this guy was one way and now he's living this different way. And I just want to encourage you that, that the, the, the worse you are, the more terrible of a life that you've lived, the more convincing and the more compelling your life is going to be because of the change to who Jesus is and what he can do. And so if you come here this morning, you go, man, I want Jesus, but I don't know if my life could ever be turned around. Give your life to Jesus and he'll turn it around for you. There'll be some men and women in the back that would love to talk. If you don't have someone that, that you feel comfortable talking with. For others of you, man, you come here this morning and, and you're a Christian, but your life, you realize it has not been this compelling picture to others of the life of Jesus. And I just wanna say that I'm, I'm proud of you for even being here this morning. That's so often because I go through seasons like this where, where I just follow the cravings of the flesh, right? Like I'm, I preach, but I'm just as flawed as anyone else here. Like I'm not perfect. This is not a platform of perfection that once you get your life together, you get to start speaking. No, I, I come here to, to beat the drum that, that, man, we are all sin, but we are all in need of the grace of Jesus. And there are so many moments where, where, I, where I stumble and where I sin. And the hardest thing to do is to come and be around my brothers and sisters. Why? Because we feel like we have to have it together. And the reality is you don't have to have it together to come in here. You come in here and the Lord meets us and he sends us back out with his grace. And so some of you, man, you've, you've been stumbling. You've been chasing every craving. You've been trying to, to fill your life with things that are not of God. And, and you can do one of two things. You can leave here like with your head hung and just being sad and kicking yourself or you can take advantage of communion. And you can let some brothers and sisters in on your life. You can confess your sin. You can experience the abundant grace of Jesus. A grace that compels you to go back into the world, not feeling defeated, but feeling strength. 
from knowing a God that forgives us, keeps walking with us in the midst of all of our failures. And so I wanna invite some of you, man, if, if, this, if you've been stumbling, if you realize that your life outside of our time together hasn't been this compelling picture, just confess that and let some brothers and sisters pray for you. There's so much power just in prayer. If you don't have people here that you feel comfortable praying with, go to the back, love to pray with you. And then some of you, man, your, your reality is that, that you're living this out in a very profound way. You go, man, I, I am abstaining and I've been walking in, in greater uh, perseverance than I ever have. And, and I am living this compelling picture and my heart is beating for those that don't know, but I'm not seeing any fruit. And I love that Peter says, live such good lives. He doesn't say live a good week or a good month or a good year or live two good years. He says, live such good lives. And for some of us, it's gonna take a lifetime Mark, is gonna, it might take a lifetime for some of your friends that don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. It might take a lifetime for us. But if that's what it takes, it's worth it. And so if this is you this morning, if you're going, man, I'm living this out, but I'm not seeing much fruit, ask the Lord for perseverance. I'll pray for us and we'll take communion. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are such a great God to us. And I pray that we would love you with all of our heart and that we would live such just dynamic lives of faith that are just attractive to people around us. And I pray for all the people in our lives that don't yet know you, for our moms and dads and our siblings and our aunts and uncles and cousins and our um, business partners and our, and our friends. God, would you just open their eyes and would you help us to take serious that, that we get to play a part in helping them come to know you? And so Christ, we need more of you. We need more of your heart. We need more of your spirit. We need more of your love. We can't do this on our own. And so this morning, would you fill us up and send us out for your glory? Not so that we are remembered, but so that you are known, so that your name is loved. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.